This is Grilled, the Staff Canteen podcast for chefs. My name is Cara Houchin, editor of the Staff Canteen, and in this episode we speak to Alex Claridge. Our deputy editor, Tani Dawn Hiscox, caught up with Alex to find out if he had been keeping out of trouble lately. Birmingham born and bred, he's not one to keep his opinions to himself, and he reveals in this episode his passion behind his growing culinary empire. So would you like to tell me uh, when you decided you wanted to become a chef? I'd always done creative stuff, like, you know, I did music extensively, like, my teenage mm-hmm. years, more from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I started learning the piano when I was a kid. Um, and I think music was probably kind of my first, my first love, in all honesty. Um, but the problem is that I, uh, I've got kind of a self-destructive streak where if it's not something I can be the best at, yeah. I don't want to do it. And uh, I've recorded... You know, I actually recorded an album with my band when I was 18, and uh, I absolutely fucking hated the album. Really, really, really hated it. So uh, I sold all the guitars, quit music, and um, food was kind of just me trying to find something else creative I could do to replace that. Um, so I cooked at uni for, well, a mixture of money and trying to to get girls to uh, to sleep with me. But um, <laughs> the girls bit didn't work out that well, but I did quite enjoy the cooking. Um, but I think it's informed everything I do, like... I like creativity. It's not inherently I have a bloody desire to be a chef like who fucking would, you know, yeah. spend your entire life, like, constantly working, really. Um, it's not the faint-hearted, but as a creative format, I think it's amazing. I think it's mm-hmm. such a visceral, direct way to um, to kind of create something and then share it with people. Um, yeah. And I think at the risk of sounding like a proper fucking soppy, I quite like the fact that food's universal. You don't need to speak English to understand good food. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of communality of it, that ability to bring people together and stuff, that's, you know, that's a really big thing for me. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a chef. I want to create cool stuff. It just so happens that I've kind of settled on food um, as, as, as kind of the, yeah, the way I guess I do that, the way I fulfill it. And had you not been a musician and had you not been a chef? I imagine professional model, but um, no. <laughs> yeah. like fuck, I would have. Um, I don't really know. Um, possibly a writer. You know, like when I was at uni, I studied English because um, I, I, I like writing, and it's the same story. Like you know, I like to tell stories. That's kind of it. It's just as opposed to telling stories, you know, in a book. I'd rather do it on a play. Oh God, that's literally the worst thing I've ever said. I, I will probably drink some bleach later. But <laughs> so, what did you? Where did you work before you opened the wilderness? Nowhere exciting whatsoever. Okay. Um, I just worked in the bistros, cafes, pubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star- Is that all Star- in Birmingham? Star- 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 uh, across Birmingham, Manchester, London, yeah. and kind of bits and bobs over in Los Angeles, um, which is really cool because it's such a different set of produce. And Californian kitchens are um, very, very different to British kitchens. There's a lot more kind of cult of chef over there, I think, in a lot of ways there's more respect for kind of the profession, the industry over there than there is over here. And they're very, very clean. Um, like Californian food hygiene laws are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but mostly it was like, yes, uh, I love the produce and like it was an excuse to go and have a dilly belly over in America for a bit. Fair enough. Um, but no, nowhere exciting. Like, you know, my CVs doesn't really like a list of that, but I think, you know, I, I am an R like, I toss and turn about whether I wish I'd come from a more traditional route, but I think in a lot of ways I don't because 
because it's never been me going, oh, awesome, I want to be a chef. It's always been awesome, I want to create cool stuff that makes people feel this. You know, it, there's always been a limit to how much I felt I could kind of achieve within the normal framework of stuff. You know, it's been a lot about kind of as I, you know, been a lot about kind of surrounding myself with, you know, chefs from all sorts of backgrounds, which gives us kind of, you know, I like to think that I look at it very differently because I've had a less orthodox kind of um, journey through the industry. But then, it, you know, it's, it's balanced with then, you know, we've got chefs who've done the opposite, who were 16, knew they wanted to be a chef. And they've kind of come through very classical in it, you know, it kind of gives us a really nice breadth, I guess, within within what, you know, me and my guys are trying to achieve. And did you go into it on your own? Was it your idea? The wilderness? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, um, I scribbled it down on a piece of paper about eight years ago, the kind mm-hmm. of crux of what I wanted to do with it, what I wanted to try and achieve with a restaurant. And um, I was working as a development chef. Um for like a small little kind of company that we're trying to get into um, doing all sorts of, you know, like airline food and that sort of thing. I just thought, fuck this for game of kippers. I'm working really hard. I'd rather work really hard for myself. So um, it was literally like, you know, me, a suitcase, a couple of pots and pans and one of the chefs on it, and that was how it started. Has it always been in the jewellery corner? Nah, nah. We we, uh, we, started, we started as a pop-up in yeah. a suburb called King Feast. That did well. That kind of stays full. So we moved yeah. to the city, did another pop-up in town. Um, we then took a, a tiny little space, which was uh, shared with an art gallery, on like mm-hmm. a little back street behind New Street Station in the middle of the city. It was like, I look at it now and I go, like, I don't even understand how how we ever, how we ever go. Like, it was fucking insane. Like, tiny little kitchen in the back of an art gallery. It's a bit of a weird one. But I think, you know, I've always been always a reason why it's not a good time there's always a do you know what I mean there's always a, a thing for chefs we can sometimes always go oh I need this to do that or oh, I haven't got this resource or oh, you know I need this expensive piece of kit you don't you need a knife and heat that's it really yeah. and we've always tried to embody that you know we will you know I guess be kind of quite punk in our senses we'll do it ourselves if, yeah. if, if it means that we have to think outside the box or how we do it we will so we started over there and then um yeah, moving to the jewelry quarter uh, last April, called about a year ago. And it's, it's been a constant evolution, but that's kind of what I love about it. You know, I know where my core values lie. I know what I want my food to kind of say. Um, and what is that? So you, been, you mentioned what you're trying to achieve with the wilderness. If you had to I sum want, that up. I want to make people happy. I want to piss people off. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I know it sounds bad, but when I first started it, you know, what we did was very kind of influenced by Noma and influenced by kind of new Nordic food. And you know, I was going out, I was picking a lot of it myself. And, yeah. you know, I wanted, I wanted to kind of capture, you know, time and space and memory and nostalgia and everything. And they kind of had a bit of an epiphany. Um, you know, we had a bit of a blip on that where I got sued by Daniel Hume. They, they were very keen for us to change our name because it used to be called Nomad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still find it a little bit of a stretch that you can introduce a 20 cover restaurant in an art gallery in the back streets of Birmingham with a hotel. But, um, you know, intellectual property law doesn't really work on common sense. It works on uh, who's got the most money and the biggest bollocks. And uh, uh, voluptuous as my testicles are in the end, I lost that fight. And when I kind of came back from it, that's fucking line, isn't it? Voluptuous <laughs> as my testicles are. If that's not the lead for this, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, I lost that fight. And I kind of came back and I kind of looked at it again. I wanted to, I wanted my food to in some way 
do exactly the same thing to capture the place that I'm from, to capture the city that I grew up in, to capture the food that has thus far been formative for me. But yeah. then when you look at it, like, this is not a city built on running through a fucking field at 5 a.m. picking flowers, which has been blessed by pixies. Not really. That's not really that how a picture in, burning in my head. That, that, that speaks in no way as to what the experiences of growing up in Birmingham, you know. Did you grow up in central Birmingham? No, I grew up in um, a little suburb called Hall Green, just outside the Boston Triangle. But, you know, with that, I grew up eating a lot of Asian food. But, yeah, you know, like, actually junk food and kind of international. Like, that was Birmingham, you know, when I left the city. It blew my fucking mind that, you know, if I went to uni in Nottingham and spent more time in Manchester in the north, blew my mind that people didn't see, like, samosas as a national dish because that, for me, was the fabric of what I grew up eating and, and everything we do now. You know, we're trying to take to take the influence of junk food, to take the influence of spice and heat and kind of international cooking and incorporate that into our food with the goal of kind of providing, you know, the biggest possible flavours we can. But in doing so, reminding people that, Good food doesn't have to be fancy or exclusive. You know, it's elevating food that's the need for fabric of what Birmingham really is. You know, we are a very reductive city. If you find any London press publication and have to talk about Birmingham food scene, they'll say, oh, they've got X number of Michelin stars and they've been to the Balti. That's yeah. a really fucking reductive way of identifying what the city is. So, you know, all we're ever trying to do with the wilderness is to capture the place we're from. You know, yeah. which is why you know, we're in the jewellery quarter, which is, you know... <laughs> was an industrial heartland in the country. You know, we play kind of heavy metal and rock and roll because this is the city that gave the world Aussie Osborne and that's the music that I grew up listening to. <laughs> we serve food that's as much inspired by McDonald's as it is by any kind of classical French stuff because it speaks more to me what this city is and what it means to me as someone from that place. Yeah. Um, and the same with, you know, the same with Stuart Dillian Red Chef, you know, exactly the same story. Grew up in Birmingham. We're cooking the food that we know and love from when we were younger, and we're just trying to elevate it, and in doing so, remind people of just how fucking life is suddenly good as it is. You know, because people always ask chefs, oh, you know, what, you know, what's your favourite food? Oh, what restaurants inspire you? Oh, you know, what do you love? But honest to God, do you find me a chef on a Saturday night after to the service? If you give them a fucking greasy burger, it's not going to be happy as Larry. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather do stuff that the food people actually eat. I want to cook yeah. everyday food. I want to cook food that makes people feel that familiarity. And, you know, it's been a big part of us with, you know, I just a little bit when I say I want to make people happy and want to piss people off, but I'm not interested in cultivating a restaurant that's for a particular kind of person, particular class of person, or, you know, for a particular kind of wealth. I'm not interested in it, you know. I want it to be, you know, a restaurant that's not everybody. I want it to be a restaurant that's for, you know, for the misfits, for the weirdos, for the people who don't really do fine dining normally. And, you know, in doing so, yeah, they come to a restaurant that's, you know, serves food that's ambitious and uses produce from all over the world and, and uses the best quality stuff they possibly can. But fundamentally, you know, they're still sitting down and they're eating flavours that taste like the Big Mac whilst they're listening to the Rolling Stones, you know. There's a lot of familiarity, familiarity in that. And I think that's really powerful. And, you know, I like to think it makes it an easier environment for guests to kind of find things themselves in as well. And presumably, like, overwhelmingly, it's been well-received. I'm you, still here. <laughs> are, your, are your customers generally from in and around Birmingham? It's changing. It's changing. Like, yeah. you know, we are getting, you know, the, the kind of long we've done this and the more people recognise that what we're doing is interesting, you know, the more appetite there is for this kind of modern Brummie cuisine. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we are getting people coming from further afield, um, which is awesome. You know, that's still, 
really, really lovely, really flattering when people travel a long way to eat with you. I think our kind of our, our core customer base, you know, they're incredible. You know, we have some of the most loyal guests. Uh, you know, that I think I could ever ask for. You know, you do anything for us and they follow the journey with us. You know, it's really good stuff. And occasionally yeah. the stupid stuff that we get stuck into. I think throughout, you know, when I was cooking in restaurants, there was always this attitude of, uh, you know, we're here to cook food. We're not allowed to have an opinion on that. We shouldn't say that. The guest is always right. And none of that really tallies with me. So all we've done is enact, enact a restaurant really that there's very little bullshit. But, you know, it's very sincere. The love for what we do is sincere. You know, our passion for trying to make people feel good about themselves is sincere. And, you know, I think for me that's what hospitality should embody. You know, yeah. it's about making people happy. That's it. You know, everyone's going to die. I'm not saving it. I'm not saving lives. I'm not a surgeon. I'm just trying to make someone happy, give them an escape from it all. You have a tasting menu on, right? We do, yeah. The tasting menu format is not, you know, not popular as it once was. I know there's, generally speaking, the industry, I think, you know, there's a real move in some ways away from it. But if you're trying to do a menu that's got an element of narrative to it, trying to do a mm-hmm. menu that's kind of got a a story to tell, like, you know, it works well for what we're trying to do. Um, and it means that from a kind of culinary perspective, you know, we can really focus. We don't have the the distraction of kind of a la carte or the, the the problem of having to try and kind of deal with lots of different orders on the table. We do what we do. We do it to the absolute best of our ability. But that kind of singularity of vision, I think, is really important for us to be able to keep growing and refining what we are. What's your plan for the future? Would you say that you're in a... Are you, yeah, are you happy? Do you want to... Always, would you, everyone's would you like that question. Like, well, <laughs> are you happy? Like, Jesus. <laughs> um, I just want to keep doing what I do and keep making it better, really. That's it. Yeah. You know, I think when I first started it, you kind of set yourself, you know, you have all these ideas in your head of, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. I don't, you know, I love what we do. I love the food we do. I love the team that I have. You know, and I love our guests. You know, I just want to keep doing what we do and just making it better really and I think actually if you set yourself a kind of something which is achievable something which is realistic something which kind of stays stays pretty humble I think it sets you up a lot better like you know would you see yourself expanding or opening a second branch or anything like that or is your idea nah. to stay <laughs> close to what you no nah, the one is a one off um, yeah. I've, got, I've got I've got another I've got a cocktail bar yeah in the city centre called Nocturnal Animals that you know that I enjoy you know that's um you know, I guess that's a bit more volume-led, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a cool thing to do. And yeah, we've we've kind of got that uh, in the arsenal, um, and I've got um, a couple of other kind of, I guess, projects that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wilderness is a one-off. You know, we're looking at potentially moving it to somewhere else in the jewelry quarter later in the year. Yeah. Um, this will give us a little bit more space. Um, then we can kind of, you know, keep improving what we do and improve the whole guest experience. But fundamentally, you know, it, it ain't broke why I fix it. You know, I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel. Like, I think, you know, we've got to a point in the restaurant's kind of, uh, I guess we've been for that awkward adolescent phase when we, you know, we're experimenting. We, we, we know what we do. We know what we enjoy. We know we have an audience. I just want to keep doing that, but better, really. I usually end interviews by asking people what advice they'd give to young chefs or aspiring chefs. I like the fact that you've tempered that with that usually. Bizarrely, like, I, don't know, I, I think expose yourself to as many ideas as possible. Learn what you like, learn what you don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really important to learn the value of failure. 
you know, I've learned so much more through the stuff I've fucked up than the stuff that I've succeeded at. Yeah. You know, and that's not saying make peace with fucking stuff up. I'm not saying you should go and set your agenda as make mistakes. But I think, you know, particularly that kind of transition, I guess, as a Matt Mouse, from, you know, being a chef who also runs a business, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you have to always take the learning. You have to always, you know, look at every situation, realize that there's something valuable to take from it. There's always that. And then I think fundamentally, I know it sounds daft, but the biggest thing that has enabled me to do what I want is learning to just channel the life of power of not giving a fuck. Don't take it too seriously. Like, chefs kill themselves for this. Literally, like, you know, they push themselves to the absolute limits. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm exactly well-adjusted, but don't lose sight. It's only food. It should be fun. Yeah. The minute you take it too serious or you believe believe your own hype or you kind of think that what you do is this life of so many fucking things that's going to fix it all. It's not. Do you know what I mean? Mm-mm. We're very lucky, particularly at the level that, that I cook at and the level that, you know, my team gets to, to kind of work at. We're very lucky. You know, we are getting to do what we want. We're getting to kind of work with produce that we adore, that still excites me, still kind of sends a shiver down my spine. And we get through that day in, day out. I think you should really recognise that hard as it is, you're doing something you love, and that puts you in a pretty small percentage these days. Yeah. So enjoy it. Don't lose sight of that. The minute you stop enjoying food, the minute it's no longer fun for you, I don't think you should be doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. Give you a fox, make mistakes, learn as much as you can, and uh, don't sweat the small stuff. No one gets out of life. But a bit nihilistic, really, isn't it? But there we go. I'm not. I'm not renowned for my sunshine, so might as well provide a bit of shade. <laughs> um, yeah, you're re- you're renowned for um, choosing your words carefully at all times. I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> I'm an angel. Have you been in trouble lately? I know you got in trouble at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your Twitter feed is um, populated by. Angry conversations. Has um, have you had any recent incidents? Yeah, well, my, my problem is like it's things I struggle with because in all honesty, like it's about my food. I don't really, you know, my personal opinions or who I'm as a person is irrelevant. Yeah. Really, but that's not the way it works. I know that. I've learned that the hard way. Um, the local press and me have got, you know, uh, <laughs> an ongoing hate-hate relationship. They um. Yeah, they two weeks ago they ran a story linking me to gun crime because one of my other projects is like a cocktail bar, and we did a like we did a a fictional video like a you know a kind of you know an arty party probably pretentious but like an arty video about this this cocktail experience, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was inspired by like Tarantino and like you know pretty gritty kind of filmmakers. Yeah. One fucking screen, really... screen capture from that with me holding a handgun, and that went quite badly. Oh dear. I apologise for it, but like in a barrel of journalism, if you want to try and find like a screen capture from a video that I was in, and alleged that it means I'm a fucking gun lord, you know, on that basis, like Brad Pitt killed an awful lot of people. Like yeah. everything he does, it's it's called acting. Um, and then the week after that, I announced I had a new menu at the cocktail bar, and uh, they took the press release and announced that I was closing the restaurant. So that was fun. Yeah, it's growing up in Birmingham, like, you know, if someone throws a punch, I'm afraid I'm not the person to turn the other cheek. I'm the person who's going to smack you back in the fucking mouth. That's not exactly how PR works traditionally, but, you know, in of itself, I think, I think fair play, like, I'm not interested in, if we make a mistake, we'll own it. So if you've been a dickhead, then I'm not going to bend the knee. Um, 
like any of the stuff on my Twitter, like it's not because I'm inherently an angry person or uh, you know an arsehole. I mean, I am, but we'll keep our record like the arsehole bit. Um, it's just if someone says something that's just bollocks, or indeed, and this is what gets my go the most, if someone treats my staff in the wrong way, like you know, I'm not the hired help. You know, I'm not here to save the customers' right. If you're being rude or a prick, I don't want your money. I just want you to fuck off out my face. Yeah. I know that's not the popular viewpoint, but, you know, I think we need to stand up for our staff, we need to stand up for our industry, and if customers act in a way that is childish or lacking in sort of decent manners, I think, I think you know, operators need to be brave enough to say, you know what, nah, it's not all right, it's not good. Mm. And perhaps that earns um, you the respect from the right kind of people. Well, exactly, you know, for, for any time where we've, you know, gone into a little bit of trouble... Yeah, it probably makes us a bit marmite. Some people look at it and think, what an arsehole. Some people are kind enough to send me messages telling me that I'm an arsehole. <laughs> what private? But, you know, all sorts. Like, considering this, oh. you know, I had, like, last year we had an article where the Daily Mail thought they'd say that I was pro-Brexit in it. Um, <laughs> in it. And like, I had fucking death threats off that. You know, like, but people love to be angry, you know, the... The irony of hospitality is that people are willing to overlook massive things like governments, which are busy, busy trying to kind of annihilate any sense of kind of social conscience, or you know they do a job that they hate every day, mm. and they're not willing to be angry about that. They like to get angry about the little stuff because they don't know how to enact their anger in a positive way against the real things that make life a bit shit. So they only yeah. get angry because the wine they want's not in stock, or because they don't like the music I play in the restaurant. Bit fucking silly, really. Um, but really, it's easy to ask me, are you are you not in trouble at the moment? And uh, I'm very pleased to say that I've today had no so far. Today <laughs> so far, but I have just released a, I've released my own whiskey. Um, oh it's no! Called the Bre- it's called the Brexit blend. So I imagine it's <laughs> a couple of days grace before that blows up in my face. But <laughs> I think I think there's plenty of people who, you know, and within the industry, I'm, I'm very well aware that even people who read anything you write. There will be people who will say, oh, you know, it's just silliness or like me causing trouble or me kind of, you know, willing to be kind of a provocateur. But I think that you need that creatively. I think if you're not willing to push boundaries, you're not willing to kind of test where the line is, the line doesn't move. Um, I'm sure I misjudge it sometimes. Um, My poor mother, you know, she's gone from collecting every press cut thing she has with me to, I think, probably... Avoiding the press cutting she can oh. find. <laughs> yeah. I love it, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not causing trouble because I'm a kid, you know, I'm a grown adult. But if this thing I feel passionate about, then I'm, I'm going to stick to it. And yeah. whatever those consequences are, you know, I don't, I don't really mind. And you know, like I said, you know, before that, maybe it's about the food. The rest of it's just silliness. And yes, you know, sometimes it goes well for you and kind of press coverage is, you know, awkward coverage. Sometimes it goes badly for you, but you know I'd, I'd rather ultimately let me be judged by my food. You know, yeah. anyone who labours under the misapprehension that you go to a restaurant because you think the chef's a nice guy, that's not how it works. That's, that's not what. That's really why you choose to eat out, right? Yeah, you know, if if, if that's why you're going to a restaurant, you're labouring under a serious misunderstanding of the kind of people that typically love food to the degree that they'll give their life to it. Just tell me, I'd have out of trouble this week, and I think it's going quite well. Good. When was that? Friday. I don't know. I, I'm sure that I act like a dickhead a lot of the time, and I need to wind my neck in. But 
I'd rather just be a real human being. And if in a little way that makes it easier for people to kind of, you know, feel that what I'm doing or like my restaurant is accessible for them, then, then that's a good thing, I think. My last question is going to be, do you think it's appropriate to bring my boyfriend's mum to your restaurant for dinner? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but bizarrely enough, like, you know, I promise you, you, you will struggle to find a restaurant that, that, that cares about, I guess, more. That, that is, you know, that is the, the tragic irony that you don't get, the press don't want to know when you do something special, when you go above and beyond. They don't care about the nice fluffy stories. They have a script they're following. And I say the press, like, you know, not all of them, but, you know, they'd much rather a story. I mean, look at Gary Usher and that, you know, Gary yeah. does so many lovely things for his staff and for the people around him. You know, you don't have the kind of loyalty or following he has if you're not actually a really quite special human being. I don't know him personally, but, you know, he seems like a stellar lad. But yeah. look, look at the press stories. Like, they'll still crack out on TripAdvisor, like his TripAdvisor review stories. That's still their favourite way of doing it. It's a lot more, you know, attractive as a press article that someone's been angry or there's conflict. You should absolutely bring your mother. You know, not just because I love mums, because I do. <laughs> but, you know... The actual experience is about the food. I don't walk out yeah. with experience and shout fucking kick the table like you know, that's not what we do. We're there to make you feel good. That's what you know, I wanna do food for kind of real brummies, you know what I mean? I don't wanna yeah. do white table costs where you've got someone genuflecting at your table trying to kind of knock you off mid meal. Like I'm not looking to offer that. It's friendly people who love food, who'd like to share really good food with people who also love food. That is it. It's you know, it's not rocket science. Thank you so much for the coverage and uh helping us share our weird little story. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed this interview, and if you have any comments, feel free to tweet us or comment on the post. Uh, we're making all of our interviews available to download. The next episode will be with Alan Patton. He voices his thoughts on veganism and why chefs need to embrace it. And finally, if you like what we do, whether it's our podcast or our videos or even our features, please head over to our Patreon page and support us there.